podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Whatever you're funny, Peacock's got it exclusively. Bears beats The Office on Peacock. Stream every moment from Dunder Mifflin and explore bonus extras and exclusives. Plus, if you're looking for more classic hits, you can stream every episode of Parks and Recreation, Two and a Half Men, and every season of SNL. In the mood for something brand new? Check out Peacock's original comedies, The Amber Ruffin Show, and Saved by the Bell. Whether you're craving a new binge or familiar fave, you can find tons of comedy hits on Peacock. Get started for free at PeacockTV.com. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good afternoon and welcome to a brand new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. The first in our history where both Johnny and myself are out of Essex. Johnny, my, the twang is back. Uh, I've been down the hogshead. I've been drinking pints of Fosters. I've been yeah. saying things like happy days. <laughs> I am back. I am back. I am back. Yes. In the land and area where apples and pears do not have to be refer- referring to fruit. It can be stairs. You know, we've got more than enough cockneys out this way. It's lagers on a Saturday. We're having it large. We're talking about Gemma Collins is the, the queen that represents us all. Um, like a kind of Essex glammed up version of Cersei, La- uh, Cersei Lannister, that kind of vibe. This is the the kingdom that is Essex, and you are here. We 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 did say that this is the first time. Well, this is the nearest you've ever been to me on a global kind of location um, situation since we've started doing this. It's I can and I can feel the electricity in the air through through the laptops. It's you know we're connected. Um, it's fantastic to be in Essex. It's just you know it, it's had a lot of criticism over the last twenty or thirty years, but there's nowhere happier than Essex. It's just, it's just a happy-go-lucky place. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're, we're renowned. I mean, the thing is, is Towie kind of, it stole our um, identity, you know, and it was all about the jazzles and all about, you know, uh, getting fake tans and stuff. And it's so much more than that, you know. It's about getting in fights in your mate's garden, you know, at, at, at a friend's party, things like that. Real, real kind of disgraceful stuff. We've got plenty of that in Essex, and we and we're very, well, well proud of it. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it, it's there's not many places to be that are better to be, I should say, when it's sunny outside than an Essex garden. We know we know how to have a bit of fun. You know, we know how to turn Kiss FM on. Guilty as charged. Yeah, I, I love the upgrade in slang. You know, I haven't been here for a while. I've been called a maggot. Uh, I've been told I've been chatting Breeze, which is a new <laughs> one to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, not only am I having fun, I'm learning uh, new terminology and it's, it's, it's brilliant. But Johnny, we're not here to talk about Essex, even though it is important to um, our upbringings. We're here to talk about Arsenal. We're heading into a, a very uh, important weekend game against uh, Norwich City in front of the home fans. I, I, I said to you before, I was like, there's not really a lot of news to go through. And then, you know, you mentioned a few things and then I started digging through and I'm like, actually, there's some really interesting things to be talking about. Um, but first, because it's kind of close to the story that I am back in England um, and I have been hanging out with uh, so, some some of my Arsenal family over the last few days. And one of the things that came up uh, that I thought was interesting, not the Edu interview analysis, as is on screen, and we'll talk about that in a second, tickets. So, um 
I, I I was with a uh, you know a family member that's got quite a few um, of our sort of family season tickets all grouped together. He looks after them, and he was telling me that uh, getting a getting an Arsenal ticket these days is not as difficult as it used to be, and that got me thinking um, about the apology tour that we've had this summer, uh, where we spent the most out of any Premier League club. Um, Johnny, like firstly, let's talk about the the, the ticket challenge. It's uh, there's not sixty thousand waiting list for an Arsenal ticket now. Tell me, tell me what, tell me what you've been hearing on the ground. No, I mean you're completely right, and I've like you know, um, shout out to my cousin if he's listening, but he never has been able to get to games. You know, he's not been a season ticket holder or whatnot, and uh, just doesn't have those kinds of connections. And as we spoke about, it was so kind of difficult uh, for a long period to get your hands on any kind of Arsenal ticket that was you know going. It was just a season ticket holder who couldn't make it that week or something like that, and. We saw with the Chelsea game, you got the European champions rolling into town and we as a club can't even sell out the stadium. It's absolutely mad. And I think one of the interesting aspects of this is that, you know, we can't just take this in isolation like, or, or sorry, sorry, I should say out of context. The fact is, is that the stadium's been closed for a long time. It's not like we've gradually just come to this point where interest in live attendance has gone down and down. It got wiped to zero on mass. All the clubs were doing it. And we've not been able to recover enough because it then, like, usually when when the, when the clubs are, pl- like, we're having seasons usually and you're a season ticket holder, one of the main ways that they keep you in terms of your retention is they say, well, you can give up your season ticket, but it's gone and you might have to rejoin the wait list. So it's fear, fear of losing that season ticket, even though that you're like, I can't keep giving my weekends away to this dross. You just do it anyway. You keep, maybe you start doing a, a timeshare with your mate on the season ticket. Yeah, you have three games a year because you don't even want to commit to the whole season. But basically, the situation, and I think that if you, if you look at Arsenal in terms of what we're offering as a product within the Premier League, we are one of the clubs with the sharpest decline during that period of like COVID influence, you know, and, and lockdowns and not being, we, there's not many clubs at Premier League level that have had as stark. I think we've had the starkest decline out of any club. And so when we're getting back to trying to sell our, um, you know, our live spaces and generate that revenue, the, the, the fan interest and, um, the fan anger is not the way that Arsenal as a football club want it to be. There's a lot more anger and a lot more um, disenfranchisement at what we're seeing than general, oh, way we can get back in the stadiums. Let's go and see it. You know, we want change because what we were all forced to watch while we were in lockdown, looking at the TV screens, was getting increasingly depressing. And any hope that it was going to quickly, you know, uplift this season as stumbled at the first three games and so I think morale's low among fans and that has obviously borne out with the kind of um frequency with the with tickets being available at this at this stage yeah you know when um when I first started writing the Grove 14 years ago or like two days ago 14 years old unbelievable um when I first started writing the Grove, I had a little uh, a little ticketing service, and it was called Le Exchange. <laughs> it's probably not a very good accent, but uh, people used to say, "Oh, I've got a ticket," and then I used to say, "If you want a ticket, email me." And I, I would connect maybe fifteen or twenty people from uh, you know bottom tier tickets all the way up to club level. Always have mass demand for them. 
now I've got friends with season tickets. They're like, it's not even worth putting the call out. No one will take them. You you can't get you can't get a penny for them. You can't give tickets away to Arsenal. And it's uh, it it it's striking because when you've got a model that's based mostly um, upon generating ticketing revenue, and you can't get people in the stadium, it's the um, it's it's is it was it a goose that laid a golden egg? Yeah, was yeah, it, it was. Uh, yeah. I think it's there was death. a hen as well. Yeah, the hen laid the golden egg. One of them did, and um, wh- whatever was laying the golden eggs, it, it, it appears that they are dead. They, they're you know, both dead. Yeah. <laughs> and the the interesting thing about uh, this is, I I don't know whether you remember this. Maybe eight or nine years ago, Stan Kroenke was at uh, like a conference or some sporting conference, and he said the crazy thing about Premier League football fans is if you put the ticket prices up. Everyone still pays, yeah, and it doesn't, and it doesn't matter if they're winning. He says something um, yeah, around yeah, along yeah. those lines, and um, I think Arsenal fans were I, one day that won't be <laughs> the case, and you know maybe it was because back in the day, you know, we'd have a bad season, we would always rebound, but when it's such a consistent flow of negativity with such high prices, and also you you know you do have the the COVID edge, average age of a Premier League ticket um, season ticket holder is is you know. It's not young. Like people don't want to mix it up and get COVID for that sort of football. Yeah. So it's a, a hodgepodge of everything. So it's going to be really interesting to see how uh, they address that because they also got rid of the away season ticket as well, which I'm guessing is based on a, a lack of interest because who's going to spend all that money to go away every game as a guarantee? Where's the joy in that? Yeah, it's it's really um, filtered down to like the most hardcore. of, And, and I, I don't place you know, huge hierarchy on people that attend games being bigger fans of people can't get to games. Like, you know, everyone has different life circumstances. Not everyone can get to games. Not everyone has that opportunity. It doesn't mean, you know, but I appreciate the people who do dedicate their time and money to the club because one way or another, it helps us. So shout out to all those people that make it. What I find so interesting about this in general is when you think about Arsenal and what's been happening with the globalisation of football over the last, certainly since the Premier League's been going, but particularly the last 20 years, you know, when you think of it as a general pie of Arsenal fans, the majority of Arsenal fans don't live in London. The majority of Arsenal fans don't even live in the UK. You know, the vast majority of them live around the world. That's the reality of it, because we've got such a wide fan base that they're spread all over. So, the people that are in the locale to be able to go to games are like the representatives and they they still represent a character of the club and they're the fans that you see cheering at match days and they're the people who are our voice on the terraces being able to cheer the team on and air our frustrations. But when the localised community stops stepping up, like of course there are people who might be living you know, uh, in South America or Africa or North America, uh, Asia, all over. And they might come, but it's less likely to be that frequent because who can have a season ticket if you live in Hong Kong? Do you know what I mean? You can't be popping over all the time. So at the end of the day, when you take away those, you know, um, um, on occasion fans who might be in the area who can turn up, the localised community are incredibly important for your, you know, your almost your branding as much as anything for how your club is viewed and how successful in, in engaging your fan base you look. And at the end of the day, you cannot you cannot paper over the cracks of a number of years now of uh, systemic decline um, and 
uh, a lack of results on pitch because it has now filtered through after we've all had a taste of watching it from our armchairs and we're just not inspired. People aren't rushing back to get out there again and Arsenal have to step up to the plate. And, you know, obviously we'll always love the club. We'll always support the club. But to engage us again, we can't control whether or not we're always engaged with the club because... You know, negligence can lead to disillusionment and disenfranchisement. And that is being, you know, visually represented by the lack of fans at times. Yeah, and I think the point about globalisation is really interesting because a lot of clubs, you know, in in marketing speak, you know, people talk about, you know, average basket per consumer when you get down to those levels. And I feel like a lot of clubs chased getting the global basket up from $15 a year to $18 a year. And a lot of neglect has happened um, for the fans that go to the ground. And I don't think that that, I don't think that that is better um, advertised than the state of Arsenal stadium at the moment, even United, you know, United fans complain about the state of old Trafford. It's, you know, it's falling apart. But when you look at the signs outside of Arsenal stadium at the moment, like the bleached seats, it doesn't look like it's been taken care of. It doesn't look like, uh, you know, one of the newest stadiums no. uh, in, in, the, in the Premier League. And, you know, nothing says we don't really give a shit about your experience, quite like letting the stadium fall to bits. So it's going to be interesting to see how Arsenal tackle that because there's a lot of chatter going on that, that I've seen on Twitter. I've, I've been a bit out of the game this week, but I've seen a lot of um, talk about the 3pm blackout that's happening for Cristiano Ronaldo's debut. But it's like that 3 p.m. blackout is not getting fans back in the stadium. You can have to work harder than that. And I, 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 maybe going, maybe that does segue us in a little bit. Can I, can I just say on that point, if we are, just because you made a really good point about the state of the stadium, and I agree, like, Stan Kroenke, can't you run the fucking Dyson round before we show up, mate? You know what I mean? You're taking the piss. Like, it looks like a bit of a shithole now. And at the end of the day, what I find so... Why I why I find that so symbolic the um the kind of crumbling of the stadium is that the stadium was sold to us as a dream when we were at Highbury of our only way of being enga- able to engage the next top level the Bayern Munich model the stadium is our hopes and ideals it's a visual representation of it it is our representation of being a big club that was sold to us so when you see the dilapidated state of the stadium. It's it's a visual representation of the dilapidated state of the dream that was show, that was sold to us, and I've heard people whisper it, you know, in, in different corners on the internet. Like, would you would you if someone offered you like blue pill, red pill, pill at Matrix, um, would you accept staying at Highbury, being able to keep that team together, and you know, being able to buy players for the next few years and you know, drifting back down to a lower level at this stage, uh, obviously we would have no doubt won trophies while we were at it, or come to the Emirates and done what we've done now. And everyone would say, why did we move? You know what I mean? Highbury was sick. And I loved it. Like, Highbury had... I get much more feels when I when I think about what it was like being at Highbury than I do the Emirates. And we just have not backed up that gamble that we took. And I know it, it might be you know, easy revision, revisionism at this stage. But the fact is, is that that's why I think fans get so frustrated with where we are and where we find ourselves. I think that's a great point. And I, I would normally have said, no, 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 no. You've always got to build that new stadium because it moved us up a level. But actually, on reflection, was it worth the pain? 
was it worth Arsene Wenger giving his best years to a project that was never really going to succeed? Uh, was it worth the shift to the new stadium that made us more attractive to Stan Kroenke, that made David Dean take decisions that got him ousted from the board? Abs- absolutely not. I mean, if the if you said, tw- you know, I don't know how many years it is now, what, 15? Um, I, I can't even bother yeah. to add it up in my head. F- 15-odd years. It's not been a good 15 years. It's been a painful 15 years watching um, watching the slow dis- decline of a squad. And, and now they're not even looking after the stadium, which, you know, as a billionaire, when you're coming into your baby, you know, I, you know we've spent uh, 400 million on this. You know, we've spent, uh, you know, almost a billion on the squad over the last 20 years or whatever. And, and this is, you know, we can't even... We can't even update the the red so it doesn't look washed out peach. <laughs> it's depressing. It's depressing. But um, yeah, I, I, I might try and get a ticket to go and see the the, the Norwich game at the weekend, um, just to go and inspect it myself and report back the damages. Uh, so I think we should shift on because yeah. there, um, Edu has been on. I don't know whether I would call it a charm offensive. I would call it uh, a frantic defensive. Um, Edu is out there justifying himself. I mean, he had his agent uh, during transfer window throwing Arteta under the bus for the Williams signing. And then Edu showed out looking very much the part of a technical director in his nice white shirt. And he he spoke to Sky. And in fairness to Sky, the interview was not a puff piece. Um, he covered off the, the, the subject of William, um, the, the form at the moment, and the decisions that went on over the summer, um, like rate the interview out of 10 for effectiveness um, when it comes to your opinion on Edu? Well, um, it's interesting. And and in a, well, it's not even a recent period. It's a long period now uh, as Arsenal fans. I think we've had just a number of really polarising issues that have come up, whether it be... Saliba or Martinelli before that or Arteta in general. Cronky never polarises. People were together on that. Edu certainly as well. But um, I think this is has presented itself as another uh, situation where people really, really see it different in different ways. Rather like that black gold um, dress that was floating around the internet, which way do you see it? And people see it in, in different ways and they're both right. You know, and they're both not necessarily wrong. It's just that's the way they read it. And um, I've been accused of as of having kind of pre-existing bias when looking at things now because I've I've quite been open. I've I've been quite open, I should say, um, in terms of my opposition to Arteta, and certainly more recently Edu as well. I think that he's shown himself to be. Um, short of what is the required level to be able to be in that position for Arsenal when we're in a very tough period. And I thought, personally, the interview was a, a five for me. It was um, it was nice because it affirmed some of the things that most fans already knew anyway when it comes to the uh, profile of players that we were signing. You know, uh, uh, anyone could have worked out that we were aiming young. We were trying to cover off a, a, a number of um, positions where we would previously have suffered with regards to the squad and, and trying to get at least two players in those positions. Um, but, and so, and, and on that front, I, I applaud that. I do think that that's what we broadly needed to do. However, 
he was selling that as being a kind of solver of this is what we're doing and this is the way we're thinking about it. So we're just going to be open at this stage and tell you what it is. But there were two issues that really started to needle me in within what he was saying. And the first one was when he said, you know, he was broadly talking about we've started poorly, but there's a lack, you know, we've had a lack, of, we've had players missing for different uh, reasons. And when everyone gets back, um, we can expect a huge impro- improvement. I'm expecting a huge improvement. And then he started reeling off situations like uh, to justify their transfer policy, such as, you know, we have Thomas Party and Granite Xhaka. So we they were always going to start for us. So then we went out and got Laconga to provide cover. And that, for me, almost bothers me a little bit because the fact is, is that there's a number of fan- Arsenal fans who wouldn't even want to see Xhaka in the team anyway. He, he's one of the most polarising players we've had in a long time. And he's certainly not, you know, I think most people can, most Arsenal fans agree that if Party could stay fit, he is the kind of player that we actually need. You know, there's agreement on him, there's consensus. With Xhaka, even his biggest fans appreciate that he's inconsistent or uh, volatile. So why are you saying it like it's set in stone that, oh, Xhaka and Party are going to start, so we had to get someone? Why aren't you replacing Xhaka? And more to the point, you nearly did replace him because you nearly sold him. So now you're trying to tell us that the last two months wasn't happening because, yeah, we've got Xhaka and Party. Well, a minute ago, you were going to sell him for 15 million to Roma. So what are we doing here? Do you really have a, a long thought out plan? Are the faults connecting? The other thing is, in the same instance, he says, you know, and up front, we've got, Obama Yang and Lacazette, you know, Obama Yang's a 10 to 15 goal a year striker every year. Obama Yang, 20 to 25. No, they're not. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, yes, Lacazette got 17 in all competitions last year, 13 in the league. You know, the league is our bread and butter. But Obama Yang got 14 goals, I believe, last year, all in. So you're talking about a combined tally of like 30, 31 goals? That's what Harry Kane produces on his own in the league sometimes. You know, we need more help when it comes to scoring goals. And you can't necessarily sell us as the Aubameyang as a 20-goal, 25-goal-a-season striker when, in recent memory, we can't remember it. And we don't know he's going to do that. So, you know, you can't justify your transfer policy and the fact that you haven't bulked up in our attacking options. And the final thing I'd just say on it, which kind of irked me, was when... They asked him what he would deem as success moving forward, essentially, um, a successful season. And he was just like, as far as I'm concerned, very evasive and said, I I just want to see the team play. Well, that's all well and good, mate. At the end of the day, it'd be nice if you were a fan and saying that, but you're getting paid a lot of fucking money to make make us win. So don't just say, I want to see the fans play. This isn't... This isn't fucking make Edu's day happy. You know what I mean? We don't care about you watching a nice game. Or I like that kid. I hope he's succeed. No, we want to win. We want to know that you've fought through what you're doing. And for me, it didn't convince. I appreciate some people see it differently. Yeah, I th- I, I think I'm with you. I, I He said the right things, kind of. Uh, in some areas, I thought the bit where he explained, you know, the guy was like, Arsenal fans are underwhelmed. And he's like, we had a lot of positions to strengthen in. So we, we, we covered off a lot with a with a big amount of money versus covering off two or three specifics. Because if I if I bought two players, you'd be saying, what about the other positions? And it's, you know, it's, it's crazy that we signed six players and we're still saying, 
but what about this? What about that? So I thought that that was fair, but I, I, I think part of it was um, pushing Arteta. I think the 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 Obama Ying and Lacazette story is that's a hundred million pounds worth of striker, and if you can't get them going, then someone else is going to get them going. Um, but overall, it you know it doesn't really feel like um, Edu has anything visionary going on. I don't think I don't think it's an amazing strategy to say, hey, why don't we sign young players because we can't afford to be in the top tier? That's the strategy you have to adopt. Really, that's the that's the strategy we should have been adopting for the last five years, and we'd be in a lot better state um, than we are now. But I think overall, it's just kind of echoing what Arteta's saying: like, let's get a let's get a fit squad, and then let's see what happens from there. But you know, it didn't it didn't really feel like um, he's he set a he set a tone. It didn't really feel like it didn't really feel like he was leading anything. It felt like he was just wheeled out to maybe counterpoint. Gary Neville saying that he couldn't see the strategy um, at Arsenal, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I, I didn't I didn't come away feeling excited about what he was saying. And sometimes I know sometimes you know the best strategy is the most obvious one, but I always feel like the best people in football explain things in a way that you know that opens your eyes uh, a little bit. Like you listen to Pep Guardiola talk about football, and he really does open your mind to a, a different way of thinking. And I, I don't know why I think that a technical director should should talk like that, but he didn't really give us anything particularly insightful. He just sort of like regurgitated um, the most obvious things that like Arteta's been bringing about. So uh, I don't I, I don't know what the club expected us to to think about that, but it seems Arteta's saying the same thing as Vinay and Vinay's saying the same thing as Edu. So I guess they're out... Um, creating a united front in the hope that we'll all forget about what happened in the first three games and that Arteta comes out and spanks Norwich at the weekend. Yeah, and that is why, you know, I agree with all of that. And that is why this weekend's game is so important. It is, um, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I guess we're moving on to that as a subject in general. It, it feels like it, it, it's the hot topic right now because Norwich is a game now that is an absolute fork in the road moment. Um, I think largely for people like myself, um, the jig's up with Arteta. For me, I just think it's a matter of time. Personally, I hope uh, it happens sooner rather than later that he is replaced. I don't I don't think for a second that all of the issues at the club are down to him. I really don't. When Edu speaks, as I said, I, I'm not convinced by what I'm hearing. And for me, I think it should be a double replacement. How and when that works out, you know, is up in the air. Will it ever even happen? Who knows? But ultimately, you know, if you to take the cases in isolation, they have both shown that they are not good enough for the for their for their jobs. They don't deserve to keep their jobs. And I think that the Norwich game won't won't change that because even if we win, ultimately, we're expected to win against Norwich, a newly promoted team. We're playing at home, um, but they're going to be coming there. They've scored a goal this year. We haven't in the Premier League, at least. Um, and I think that if we talked about the lack, the lack of tip, ticket uptake in the grounds, and that is a visual representation of the low morale in the fan base. And I think if Norwich were to get an only early goal on the weekend, people's heads are going to go down. We know they are. There's a, there's not, there's not any fight in this team. That's one of the, uh, biggest issues I believe with the current, um, roster, if you like, uh, I think there's a lot of people who, are talented. Our most, our biggest leaders are 
children, or <laughs> that's a bit condescending. That you know, you're not a kid if you're 20, but still, Saka, Smithrow, obviously Tierney, still relatively young, but and Tierney is quality and has the guts, but doesn't always play. We know that. And apart from that, we're looking to Saka and Smithrow to drag us through all the time, and it's a lot. But I think they should have more than enough for a team like Norwich um, in the form of Saka and Smithrow. But if that goal goes in against us, then suddenly, apart from them two doing it, who who else are the leaders who are going to drag you through? We've got new young players coming in, the likes of Lukonga, but even though I'm very impressed with him, you wouldn't necessarily want to have to lump that on him to drag us through a game. Obviously, Jack is not going to be playing. We hope that Party will be playing. It's some really positive news. I think he's another leader uh, if playing well. And I wouldn't... These are the kinds of games where Aubameyang can come in and knock a hat-trick in. Um, that won't on its own heal us because we need him to be performing more regularly. But I do think that we should start a slight favourites. And I'm talking like, you know, 55%. 45. That's purely because I think if they score first, our confidence is so fragile, whereas they will be like, come on and let's have it. And I think that we could implode. There's a very real risk of that. But if we can get through the early stages of the game and maybe nick a goal, I think it could be a route the other way. That's how fine the margins are with this game. It it, it should not be seen as a formality for anyone, um, any Arsenal fan watching, in my opinion. No, I don't think it should be seen as a formality, but I don't have concerns about leadership in the same way that I did against City or Chelsea. I think Aubameyang's already scored a hat-trick against a struggling team. Uh, I think this this game will be perfect for him. And this game will be perfect for him because he's, he's going to get service. Martin Erdegaard has shown this season alone he is world-class at dismantling rubbish teams. Did you see him <laughs> against Gibraltar in the week? What a superstar. Um, he's a leader. I think um, Lukonga and Partey is the base of midfield. That is the dream. I want to see three wins on the bounce because if we get three wins on the bounce, maybe Jacker gets um, a bit of the Willian treatment that happened uh, last season when he was ousted by um, Smith Rowe. And I think that it, there'll just be a different vibe. Hopefully the, hopefully the weather is nice. I mean, um, I've been sitting out in the sun all day. Warm weather usually brings um, uh, a little bit more joy to the stadium. But I think the, the key for me... Gabriel and Ben White at centre-back with Thomas Partey and then you've got Aubameyang and that's that's a spine, that's a proper spine of the team. The the one uh, position I am wondering about, firstly I'm wondering whether uh, Tommy Asu is going to be around. I know that he was on international um, duty with Japan, apparently had a very good game, clean sheet, um, had a towering aerial performance. I'm wondering about him. But the real one that I'm wondering about, do you think Aaron Ramsdale is going to get the nod over Bern Leno. What do you think? Because there's quite a lot of change coming into this team. There's like a, a lot of fresh faces are going to be there for the first time. You know, do you think, do you think Arteta will go whole hog and be like, Hey, Arsenal fans, I'm paying attention. Or do you think that that's maybe too much disruption and maybe a little bit too much controversy for a game that really doesn't need controversy and a game that let's be honest, Bern Leno is probably not going to be troubled that much. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why you would do that. To be fair, if there is anyone who is chomping at the bit to get Ramsdale and Valeno, like, fair play to you. But that's not where I am. I, do, I, I still have concerns that Ramsdale won't be up to the level we need. I don't see him as, like, someone who I'm looking at in the squad and thinking, this guy has to play. But Leno, for all his sins, I think is a decent keeper. He's not 
a world-class keeper. No one should think that for a second. He makes mistakes. He's, you know, a bit error-prone at times, but there are other times he can play 10 out of 10 performances. So I don't think that the standard of playing um, Norwich at home would be too much for a Burn Leno. You're, and- you're going you're gonna to get pelters for this. No, I don't. Do you know what? I don't care. I don't care. Bring it on, Leno. Right? Yeah. No, but the thing is, is you don't, I don't think that Burnt Leno's performances so far this season have been, uh, you know, poor. Like it's... pinned, pinned at, pinned at Brentford. Um, made some, you know, poor mistakes. You know, wasn't dominant in his area against City. Like the the great save, sure. But I think every goalkeeper's got world class shot stopping ability. Like the fact that he doesn't dominate his area and has shown. No real um, improvement with with the ball at his feet. I, I feel like Norwich would be a good opportunity to see if Ramsdale's got something. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's too early in this, you know, in the show to to roll that dice. Peacock streaming the biggest live events from Super Bowl Fifty Six to complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. It's all the unbelievable sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Yeah, I mean, but first of all, so I'm not saying Leno is sick. I'm not. I think he's started the season poor, but he's not shit. I don't think he is shit. I think he's all right. Like, it, he has issues within his game. Since day dot when we when we signed him, he has not been commanding in his area. That is why, for me, the Martinez sale was so glaring. It, it was it, Martinez changed the perception of Arsenal when he was playing for us. When he came out to rush like on running attackers, he was huge. It reminded me of Smichael. It was, it was, it was amazing. It was imperious. Like it was, it's one of those ones where sometimes they show you the replay on the shoulder of the attacker, and you go, "Wow, is that what you're shooting at?" Because he's so massive, he covers that, you know. And when he's claiming balls, you never worried about him claiming it. He's knocking people out of the way claiming it. That's everything Leno doesn't do, and that's why it was so disappointing to let go of Martinez. But I don't think we've signed a new Martinez. People were maybe too high on Aaron Ramsdale. Like he, I think he's a bit better at claiming uh, balls in the air than Leno. But he also doesn't fill me with as much um, confidence in terms of his shot stopping. I think there are issues there. Maybe concentration issues. He may go on to prove me wrong, and that's fine. But I'm certainly not gassed enough to be like, get him straight in the team. No, no, no. That is why I actually have an issue with the fee that we paid because... We could have bought a guy for that much money who I would have been like, brilliant, straight in the team. Even the Nick Pope would have offered that um, aerial dominance that I don't think Aaron Ramsdale will in the same way married with, sorry, Nick Pope marries that with the great shot stopping. His only thing is he's not as great with the ball. But for me, in terms of a a quality keeper, someone who is hard to score past, Nick Pope would have been a, a really good option. But um, yeah, no, for that matter, I wouldn't, I don't think the most pressing thing currently is getting Leno out of the team. And that probably is a one-way door as well. When you get him out, he's not coming back in without being absolutely pissed off. Okay. All right. So let's move, let's move a bit further up the pitch because there's going to be a lot of competition for places in the forward positions. Uh, Erdegaard had a fantastic game in the week. I think he created 12 key passes. It's against Gibraltar, but who cares? It still makes you feel good after the game when you look at those numbers. Uh, Smith Rowe was unwell. Um, he came back from the England camp, but it, it wasn't the Rona. So that's good news. The big question is, does Pepe start or have we seen enough? What do you think? 
So were you were you suggesting that you don't think Smith Rowe will start then? No, I, I think that Smith Rowe will. Pro- if he was just sick, I, I I suspect he'll be back unless it was something like the flu. But, yeah. So I'm wondering. I'm wondering about uh, Pepe. Do you think Pepe? Do you think he keeps his place if they're all fit? Or no, but that's, what, that's what I mean. Like, if if you're not suggesting that you believe Smith Rowe is um, out, then no, I don't think Pepe will start. I don't think he should either. I, you know, for me, look, this is another really polarizing issue, Pepe, and that is that in the games that we have seen, I criticised him a little bit after, and you did as well after the West Brom result, and. People are like, look, he got a goal and there's this. Why are you panning on this guy right now? But for me, it's not about... We know that he can score. We know that he can assist, certainly against rubbish teams. Towards the end of last season, he put a pretty dazzling fantasy league points haul together in the last few games. Goals and assists every week, looking like a real hot form player. But, you know, the, the pressure was off. No, Nothing really to play for. We ended up out of completely out of contention. Um, for where we needed to be. And he was just flat-track bullying people. Um, and so we know that he has the quality and sometimes he'll do something special. But my issues with Pepe are his mentality. And I think he's fragile. And I think that one of the things that we need when I discuss the point about if Norwich scored early and what that would do as a as a test of character for our squad, Pepe's not a guy that I want in that team when, he's, when uh, people's character is getting questioned. He... He seems like someone who will shrink into their shell. And for that reason, there are other players like a Smith-Rowe, like Saka and an Erdegaard, who I think would stand up to that challenge a lot more. And so for me, I think it will probably be those guys. And then obviously an Aubameyang or Lacquer up top, that kind of vibe. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that Nicolas Pepe for a £72 million player just doesn't show up regularly enough. And he's great at smashing the the average teams but he doesn't show up in the big games and I think the Norwich game is a big game against a very average side uh my um my other question was do you think we've seen the end of Aubameyang out on the left or is there a chance that he sneaks in at the left and that we have Lacazette through the middle if they're both fit that's an interesting one and one I'm I'm not sure how Arteta will go for it bearing in mind that certainly the way I view it um, Arteta is absolutely managing for his career now, for his for, certainly for his job, um, because it will be you know a, a ball of flames if we lose to Norwich. There's no question about. It. There's no way back from that, and he knows that as well. Um, so he is playing, you know, um, Russian roulette with these games now. He's he's got to win all these games, and if you're playing in an all-or-nothing game, does Arteta look at Lacazette and Aubameyang as being the most experienced players and people that, you know, if you're going to put your house on someone to bully and beat up a Norwich side who are newly promoted, they've done this kind of thing before. It's not their first rodeo. Um, As opposed to Erdegaard's just come back in, um, back into the league, I mean. You know, it's easy to drop Erdegaard right now in that respect. No one would ask huge questions unless we lost. But for me, I think Erdegaard adds more flu- fluency to what we're doing. And f- and also, I think that Lacazette plays very well with Saka and Smith-Rowe. I think he links up better. Um, but I don't think Ob- um, Arteta has the balls to drop Aubameyang in this kind of game. I think he has to go with the overall you know, golden boot striker and try to jump on the narrative, even in his own mind, that 
last season was an aberration and Aubameyang's going to return to top foot, something resembling top form this year, because that's the only way that Arteta will get out of this pickle. And if you, you know, if you look at last season and the problems that we thought we had and the problems that we've addressed this summer, it was that we didn't have people that could play the ball out of the back quick enough and we didn't have midfielders that had aggressive verticality. You know, not not Xhaka verticality where he'll always take the easy option. Someone like Lukonga that does things a little bit a little bit fancier. The same with um, Partey. So if... If Aubameyang was struggling because he needs balls over the top or he needs quick balls into his feet, um, it feels like the side that is going to be available for the Norwich game has everything he needs to succeed as a striker. You know, I, I know it was only West Brom that we were playing against and they gave us a lot of space. But I don't know whether you noticed the, the runs that Aubameyang was making because he knew if he made the run, someone would at least attempt to find him with the run. Yeah. And that's when Aubameyang is at his best. And now he's got wide players that will find him in the box. And Aubameyang can find space in the box like no other striker. And hopefully um, everything clicks yeah. against Norwich. And I, I, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. I, and I do, I do believe that the key to fixing Arsenal is Thomas Parting. I think if you get him fit for the next 35 games this season, it's a different Arsenal because he's just a different class. Played at the highest level played under a disciplinarian, uh, you know, outrageous um, physique, frame, technique. He's the one that we've really missed. But then when you start giving him better options than he's had, I think it could be really, uh, I think it could be a really good run of five games. But the underlying problem that we don't know about is do, do the players want it? Do they want it for Arteta? Or would they rather bury him early and and that and that's what we don't know you know with with Unai Emery they could smell blood in the water no one liked him and and they they down tools on him you know they gave yeah. up on they gave up on the project early I think you can maybe say the 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 COVID outbreak disrupted um Brentford, the Brentford cup final you can kind of forgive Chelsea and Man City if you didn't look too deeply at what went on like you you, you can get away with those three issues you're not going to get away with Norwich. There is no mitigating circumstance for the players to come out slow, uh, to come out disinterested um, and to fail to to deliver against that game. I don't even care if there's 26 shots on target and it's incredibly lucky. Like we need to see that those home fans need a three or a four nil win. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. And if he doesn't deliver, then it's, it's, it's probably not going to get much easier than that this season. Yeah, I mean, do you know what? The, just to refer back to what you were saying about um, Aubameyang having those um, new players in the squad who will be able to provide for him in ways he d- hasn't always had. I, I actually, I absolutely agree with all this. This is when when I look at Arsenal, there's the potential positive outlook and the potential negative outlook of, and how those eventualities would likely come to pass, and that how you described it is the way I see the potential positive panning out. I do think that we will need Aubameyang to just recapture that form and Lekonga's involvement and um, Erdegaard, if he was in there, possibly a Lacazette, but more likely an Erdegaard, finding him with those passes. And I noticed that at West Brom as well, about the runs that he was making. He looked much more interested. And and that is a natural um, occurrence when you genuinely believe people might, 
find you with passes. Otherwise, it's very hard not to adopt a hangdog, you know, expression when you're just kind of like, I'm running and no one's even looking at me. It, it, it's demoralising. So it was encouraging to see him encouraged. Um, and I also do agree with the Thomas Party thing. The fact is, is Thomas Party, you know, on paper, should at, at least on paper, should be our best player. There's no question about yeah, it. I think, I, I, think he, I think he very much is close to being our best player anyway, even with the injuries. It's just that when you don't play all the time, it's irrelevant whether you're good. We don't get to see you, mate. So, you know, it, it's not just playing with you on FIFA. Great, we've got some nice stats. We'd like to see you... Um, actually playing games and influencing games. And that's why, for me, Saka is our current best player because he's available and he influences games to the um, uh, maximum, to his maximum potential at this stage, which is more than anyone else. Um, but just to push back on a couple of things, one, you're like, and I know that I think the point you're making is that um, in terms of the narrative and the spin that Arsenal would have you believe, they can dress up that Brentford loss as being COVID or whatever, and most people might believe it. Because for me, I don't accept it. I don't accept that loss. That that Their excuses about COVID is not good enough. We had a whole summer. They're a newly promoted team. I don't care if Brentford are playing at home. How We can't let our standards drop that much. You're playing against a newly promoted team, first game of the season. A couple of players were out. You had a whole summer to get the squad big enough, so we didn't lose that game. Nine players were out. Well, I, I, I don't. I, I'm you can, sorry. You could, you, but you could, like on paper, like losing the entire spine of your team through a COVID outbreak is a disruptive issue. It I'm, is. not say, I, I'm, I'm not saying that it should have happened, but in the moment when everything's going to shit, uh, start of the season, you, you could forgive that. You could forgive that. If we win the next five on the bounce, you could say, all right, I can forgive that. The context of the other two games and all together. I don't think you can say, uh, like, you know, you, you, any, you know, comedy lineup, you take nine of the best comedians out on the and the show shit. It's like, well, okay, well, the, the nine best were out. Like, yeah, let's if we, move. If, if, we, if we win all our games from now to the end of the year, obviously <laughs> yeah. the atmosphere is going to change. Like, I'm not, I'm not yeah. silly about that. It's not like the results are, no, you know, there's no way of spinning them well. It's just that my confidence in in enough happening, because we will win some games. But I don't care that we win some games. If we're beating up teams that are going to be relegated by the end of the year, that's irrelevant. We need to be doing more than that. And one of the things that's been so disconcerting in recent weeks is the lack of competitiveness against teams like Chelsea and City. I'm I'm not going to come out and go, we should have beat Chelsea, we should have beat City. I didn't think that. But the lack of competitiveness is just... It, it, for me, it has raised, it has dropped my confidence to zero, and we're going to need a real turnaround in form to get back on that, you know, on that path and uh, feeling positive about where we're going. And and it would certainly, it has to include a win over Norwich on the weekend. So, what's your uh, what what's going to be your prediction? How do you think he's going to line up? Are we going four at the back, five at the back? Do you think um, he's going to? I think I think he has to go four at the back. Um, you know, Ben White coming in and looking good will be what he's absolutely hoping for. I think, look, you know, I'll be surprised. I, 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 I'm excited about seeing Ben White anyway. I did raise concerns. He's going to be good. He's gonna I think he's going to be a good player. And I think that he's certainly going to be too good for the 
level of Norwich Football Club. You know what I mean? Norwich yeah. City Football Club. I think getting Timo Pukki, it would worry me if Pukki does does some stuff to him on the weekend. It would really concern uh, me. I don't yeah. see that. I don't see it necessarily happening. I'm just saying that that would alarm me because this should be easily Ben White's level, even when he's out of shape. Do you know what I mean? I think he can play at a higher level. So we're going to need to be defensively sound. Um, yeah. And then it's about scoring goals. I think we can, but this is why, because I can see those two narratives playing out so well, like so so clearly between them scoring early, nicking a goal somewhat, even against the run of play, and our heads going down at that point, all bets are off. I think we could lose if we concede the first game, uh, the first goal. But I think it is more like slightly more likely that we go in there and beat them. And if we do, yeah, it could be a roughhousing of them. But I, you know, it will. It remains it to be has, seen how it goes. It, it has to be a roughhousing. It cannot be. Uh, you know, one nil in the eighty seventh minute. Oh, well, at least we got three points. It's got there's we we it's it's time. We need to see something. We need to see you know. We need to see the West Brom game. We need to see the Brentford game behind closed doors. I want to see four nil. I want yeah. to see, because this this is how you deal with teams like Norwich. Norwich are not at the level of Premier League. They've had they've lost three of their openers. They're in a mess. We need to go there and we need to smash them. And at the, and my hope as well. We got. So we beat we beat Norwich, uh, um, and then we go away to Burnley. You know, we, we've game. done it's a, it's a tough game, but we've done well against um, Burnley um, over the years, and we should beat them. And then you've got AFC Wimbledon, and hopefully you get to see, you know, a, a few of the kids play, and then you win that game. And then the the idea is that you go into that Spurs game, uh, which is at home on a Sunday at four thirty. And you put on a show, and that that for me is the game that decides how the next three months are going to go. If you win, if you win that, then the the next the next ten are a bit easier. If you lose that, then it's it. Then the last three games were just a mirage, and they were just part and parcel of being a good club with um, you know big players that win in games that are, that are easy. But I think everything every really leads to that Spurs game. I think if there's um, do you think? Do you think he gets sacked? If if he uh, in your mind he's not going to get sacked because uh, we're going to beat Burnley and Norwich anyway. But um, if we, you know, say we say we've got six points heading into the Spurs game, we lose that, demoralise him, get banged up. Maybe do you think he goes at that point? I think if he loses against Spurs, I think that uh, I think that they will probably I, I, well just a guess that you lose against Spurs. Brighton isn't the easiest game to deal with straight after. I think that if if it's bad and there hasn't been significant improvement in the performances overall, I think that, you know, he could be out for that international break because uh, we play Brighton on October the 2nd and then our next game isn't until October the 18th. And, you know, from some of the, the Arsenal journalists, they say that they deeply regretted not sacking Emery in that international break waiting too late and then completely botching the rest of the season. But I think if, I think if Spurs is a mauling or, you know, just, just another, another, Oh, Spurs, they, you know, we do something stupid, Son and Kane pick us apart. I I don't see how he can last beyond that, but you know, he's got three games to build the confidence and then we need to see a big game performance with all of our players fit. 
and it, it needs to be more exciting than uh, the, the Spurs shit housing. You know, like I think you know we had a good performance against Spurs last season, but yeah. that really is the pivotal one for the rest of the season, and that's the one that the fans are looking for. I don't think anyone cares about the Norwich game. I mean, we care about it, but it doesn't mean, like you say, Johnny, it doesn't mean anything. Nor does AFC Wimbledon, and nor does Burnley. It's the games like Spurs. It's the bragging rights games. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, if you could play it out as well, you know. If we go through your scenario, I, to be honest, overall, I do think we'll beat Norwich. I think we'll have enough. And I think the fact is, is there's a lot of people who, even though it is a tough pressure game, I do think we will get that early goal. And I do think that characters like Aubameyang will just go into autopilot of smashing up a, a, a poor team. But, you know, Burnley, I, I think, will be a tricky, a tricky one away. I'm not that confident about going there because that's going to be a nasty game. It's going to be that's the kind of game I'd maybe think about playing Aaron Ramsdale in, just because I think he might show up to the physicality a little bit better. He wants to, he, he don't mind it. He's been to clubs like that that are up for it. So, um, but yeah, yeah, again, I wasn't necessarily pushing for his involvement. Regardless, um, I think that that will be a tricky one because otherwise, if we're going into that Spurs game and we're on three points and they beat us and we're still on three points after six games. That's going to be in the relegation zone. We know that after six games, you can't, you're being on three points. You ain't getting out of the rallies at that point. And I think after six games, when you're in the rallies, you can't escape that optic. You can't go, it's early days. No, it's been, it's been a month and a half and we're struggling to win. That's what it would be. So I think every one of these games is really important. Obviously the Spurs one will likely decide some fates and, you know, even more so if that Burnley game is as tricky as I suspect it might be. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. If you're if you're three points after five games, I, I'm, I'm sorry, you, not, not at Arsenal Football Club. It won't survive at Arsenal Football Club. But um, I'm hopeful this weekend. And it, interestingly, Johnny, we actually uh, that that does lead me to a little bit of a uh, an advertising not advertising partnership. So we're working with. Uh, we're working with YouGov. So if you go to lagrove.co.uk and uh, whether you're on mobile or on the desktop, there's a little round circle. It's a little chat circle that you can click. It's very, uh, it's very easy. It's not doesn't gonna it's not gonna put things on your website that you don't want. And it asks a series of questions about how happy you are with the club at the moment. So if you want to register your fan sentiment into a big fancy YouGov poll and click on it. And then we're going to sort of run a bit of a series every month to, to gauge fan sentiment. So the first blog will be out on, uh, on Thursday showing what it was like after the first game and the second game. It's not good, Johnny. It is is not good. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I I hope you're going to log on and click it and then, uh, you know, tell us what the deal is but um it's uh it, it should be interesting to see how fan sentiment goes through these games because the spurs game really is it you know it's not just a loss um it's it, you know it means more than that you know it, it means going into work is depressing it means your your group chats uh aren't worth going into you know no one opens a whatsapp after that so it's going to be um, it's going to be an interesting few weeks but i think it's all on that spurs game that really truly is the cup final because I, I think the burnley and norwich we should hopefully um pass at least yeah yeah no it'd be the uh you thing is very interesting i would 
love to see that from you know whatever cross section of the fan base are corresponding with this either way it's going to be quite informative to get the sentiment of fans so i think everyone should try and get involved with that because that's the kind of stuff that may be the new way of you know really letting your voices be known if you can't be in that stadium then having kind of nationally recognized polls that are actually expressing how fans feel as a whole it's it's important you know um for those that can't necessarily uh, make their feelings be known in the stadium yeah so i'm i'm looking forward to seeing the results of that and we can have a chat about that on the uh, on the next podcast um, Johnny, you just want to talk about one more thing before we go, uh, because uh, it wouldn't be an Arsenal Opinion podcast if we weren't hyping a youngster. But I don't know whether you've seen the Patino videos going round, our new central midfield sensation. The guy that scouted him also scouted Jack Wilshire and reckons that Patino is the best young player that he's ever seen come through the doors at Arsenal. Did you see the video against Swindon? where he, he looks better than most of the midfielders that we've got, spraying it around, left-footed, right-footed, over-the-top, short, playing out the back. What a talent. Let me do a literal watch-along, because I have not seen this uh, guy yet. So I'm going to literally... Charlie Patino, eh? Yeah. Okay. What what are we doing here? Let me mute that quickly, because it's going to confuse me. Uh, Patino. Arsenal. There we go. What we What we got here? Oh, there's a video that says, meet the next Jack Wilshire. So, but let's go in here. Right, okay. So he's receiving it from deep here. Yeah, looks very comfortable on the ball. It's similar. He's, he's got, is that, has he got an air of Cesc Fabregas about him or is that just me? He's got, a, his run is a little bit sesky. Yeah, yeah. It's you know? like, Always wanting the ball, though, isn't he? He looks always available. Do you know one of the best things I ever saw about Cesc Fabregas was um, when I did, oh, he's got very nice vision and technique. They're spraying it around. Not afraid to get stuck in. Yeah, I, lo- I like I like watching videos like this. Very silky on the bot. Yeah. What I like about players like this is they do everything quickly. You know, that yeah. like it's, it's something that uh, at a younger age, it is encouraged, like it's what separates the people that make it to the next level to be able to speed up your processes because it's something that at elite sport level, that is the difference between winning and losing. If you can get there quicker, if you can think quicker, if you can, you know, uh, execute your actions quicker you are going to have success because that's the nature of how football works. It's it's the dynamic process of the whole game. And I love to see guys who can get to that stage at a younger age because at least in theory, it gives them much more of a chance to be able to make... Because that's what Sesk did at an early age. He wasn't rapid fast like a Walcott breaking through. It was that you could see at a young age, his brain was working so much quicker than everyone else's. Instantly, he had that Dennis Burkamp look where he was receiving the ball in and he already knew where everyone was. And it was one touch pass and it was, um, you know, being able to spray it, being able to feel pressure coming from... It, 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 it's just brilliant. And as, as I say, there was a focus on match of the day about him, about... I think it was Alan Hansen back in the day breaking it down about how Cesc would always do a double look over one shoulder then the other shoulder. And he would end up with this almost sonar radar ability of knowing where all opposition players were. Just from those looks, he could go bang, bang and recall where everyone was on the pitch. And that's why he could turn in an instant and spread a pass. And that was the difference. And that is 
what is so encouraging when you see a young player breaking through who has that kind of, you know, that Hawkeye, if you like. It's great to see. Yeah, it's uh, and it's also interesting to watch those videos. And he doesn't need um, quick thinking, but it's not outrageous speed on the ball. It's just he thinks faster than everybody else. Like when he knocks it around, a player who's clearly faster than him and he's he's in acres of space. And that ability to always turn into space as well. Fantastic. But it's exciting that the the Halen golden generation doesn't appear to have ended yet. And if anything, there might be someone coming through the pipeline that's uh, that's even more exciting than, we, than what we've got in the pitch at the moment. Because what, more exciting uh... than Granite Jacker? Are you, are you, really? <laughs> but yeah, no, I wonder it. it. Oh, oh, and there was one, oh, there was, um, there was one more thing. Uh, Moel Nenny. Arsenal have rejected a bid from Galatasaray. Uh, if you had uh, to advise Edu on the on if a, if another bid comes in, what would you do? I mean, I, I don't I don't really understand it to be honest. Sometimes it I the fact is is I like El Nenny. I like him as a guy. He seems like a nice bloke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I wish him the best. But Apart from a few standout games, standout goals during his career, I think he's been a model pro for us. He's always give his give us his all. No one could accuse him of any different. But just patently not the level we need to take us to the next level. He he's looked good at. Uh, I think his best period was playing alongside Party when he you know in that Man United game, for instance. I remember them looking really imperious. But he just doesn't. He's just not consistent enough. And. Ultimately, if you see a player like that, this is different to Granite Xhaka because El Nenny's not a starter for us. Regardless of whether you think Xhaka should be or not, he is a starter. And so I don't think we should have accepted, you know, 10p on the pound for him uh, in terms of selling him, particularly after a good Euros. Whereas El Nenny is definitely not going to make it. So, you know, how small is the bid? If we're getting into those, you know, 10 million. million it, up to 10 million, like five to 10, um, take it, you know, and take it and let's just move on. Get and give someone like Patino the minutes. There you go. Maybe, you go. maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's reckless. Maybe that's reckless. <laughs> All right, Johnny, um, thanks for joining um, uh, at short notice today. So uh, tell people where they can get you on the socials. And actually now, not just the socials, they can get you in real life, right? You're in clubs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. I'm. A, but the thing is, is if you did have any desire to watch me do stand-up comedy, then um, the best way to do that is through following me on my socials at i Johnny Cochran. And I, I'm bad. I've got to be honest. I'm bad for my admin of telling people. I just usually retweet what the club said on the day. So apologies with that. Yeah, I'm just quite <laughs> poorly organised on that front. But yeah, I'm hitting up clubs um in london mainly um but as always um you know interested in what in all things arsenal so if you want to jump on twitter or the gram and chat arsenal stuff i'm usually quite receptive awesome all right on that note if you're listening to this this one wasn't live but we'll get back on the the live thing as soon as i'm back in america Uh, if you're listening on itunes go in there give us a five-star rating um and On that note, we'll see you post-Norwich game. Um, Ciao for now. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, 
I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network.